Ahoy there! You're listening to Product FM, a podcast focused on everything you need to find product market fit. We're live on Product FM, and today we are with Owen Grinder from Curve, but to be more precise, from working with an vast experience with so many companies and so many startups that if we just go through the list, we'll probably kill our entire 20-25 minutes. Owen, thanks for joining us. It's obviously a pleasure to chat. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. It's going, to be hard to, it's going to be hard to follow on for that kind of introduction. <laughs> well, that's, that's what we're trying to do here. How we trying but, to you, do? Know, I, you know, I have set low expectations and hope to, uh, you know, break them and uh, impress people. We'll see how it goes. Gotcha. So I think it would be useful to set an introduction of super brief, what your career been so far. Sure. I spent a lot of my formal years in marketing in-house in VC-backed businesses, so very much building automations and very complicated performance marketing-based campaigns, primarily focused on search, but then obviously that expanded into social and other channels as well. Then I effectively went solo, became a consultant, in parallel built an agency, and now I have quite an innovative approach to an agency model, digital marketing specialists in lots of different areas. And as you mentioned, I've worked with, I think over 40 startups and scale-ups now in Europe. Some have raised 500 plus million, some kind of only raised 5 million. So like all over the place, some like amazing products, some not so good products. So I've seen quite a few things, the, the hairy inside of, of the closed room, like uh, the founders losing their shit and going crazy and screaming and incredible meetings where you're just flabbergasted by like the intelligence and passion that people have and you're inspired and super excited. So I've seen everything, I've been everywhere, worked with lots of different teams of lots of different dynamics. Uh, I enjoy working with smart, creative people, passionate about problem solving and in tech companies. So that's what I've been doing for 20 plus years now. Amazing. When people say uh, SEO, not what it used to be it's become so competitive that now might not worth uh, the effort that's a broad statement on this entire area right but uh i've heard the seo is dead for 15 years now every year someone says seo is dead um, and seo for me it's always been competitive because i've always worked in the top 10 most competitive sectors in the in the uk so working in online gaming and working in kind of payday loans and finance for the last 20 years in SEO, it's always been super competitive. And is, has those become more competitive? Not really. I guess, I guess if you're in a brand new player with no authority competing with a website that's been around for 15 plus 20 years of spending tens of millions on marketing, it's going to be very hard. But the truth is even 15 years ago, you had incumbents who were really strong and established. It was really hard then as well. So I'm not sure it's necessarily getting that much harder. I'm just saying it's always been hard. Whether or not it's dead or not, I think it really depends on, I think a lot of businesses invest in SEO and it's not right for them, especially if they're SaaS to be in their niche. And the truth is there's not enough search volume out there and they have a new proposition and they're targeting people in an intent, high intent state, but people aren't even aware they have a problem that the solution solves. So they're investing heavily in content marketing because they think SEO is free and it's actually the wrong channel for the business. But yeah, I, I don't think, broadly speaking, SEO is dead. I think there's massive opportunity there. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very unique channel. 
in the sense that it taps into people at high intent. You don't pay per click, but you pay in the upfront cost to produce all the content to get the ranking and build the authority. So you have your cost shifts from how people think about it. So it's not free at all, as, as a lot of people um, think, like to think, especially at senior level or board level, it's free, but it isn't. And then also I think it's got, it has trust and credibility in the buyer's journey in a way that cold paid advertising doesn't or cold paid e or cold email doesn't. So SEO has unique attributes as a channel. I think it's a very powerful channel if the search volume is there for that type of business. Uh, I love your answer. And I agree that saying SEO is dead is just a trendy thing to say. But on the other hand, Google and search-based intent is the bedrock of most acquisitions online. Let's say, I'm a founder of a B2B SaaS, and I have to choose if I'm putting my budget on SEO, which could be just creating content, getting that whole machine built, or spending it on something that's showing results quicker. When should a startup start investing in SEO, assuming it takes a long time to start seeing initial results? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it really depends on how much search volume there is, how competitive it is. And what does the metrics look like? So you see that a lot in early stage B2B SaaS or even scaling B2B SaaS, SEO is not the right channel. Now, it's not to say that there isn't huge opportunity in SEO for B2B SaaS, but it really depends on the type of business, the search volume, intent, the positioning, the competitive landscape, uh, and what that looks like as a strategy. But funny enough, if you were to, let's say, look at the 7,500 websites in MarTech, plot it three years back, and look at the, all the channels that drive traffic to them, you'll find, which is, I did this with um, similar web and um, Scott Brinker, you'll find that SEO paid search and organic only accounts for one to 2% of all website traffic, which is a shockingly low amount. So you can go, well, where's the rest of the traffic coming from? And it comes from direct and it comes from referral. And actually the referral is a key indication of, of search and how search is going to perform anyway, because you need backlinks for authority. And then direct is really critical because referral for early stage SaaS is where a lot of the growth comes from. Now, the thing with cold paid advertising, especially for SaaS or B2B, because a lot of product managers primarily work in SaaS B2B, so that's why I'm taking the conversation, even though we work with e-commerce and B2C, et cetera, is that it takes a long time because you have to really, it's very cold and you have to warm them up and you need enough volume because of low conversion rates because it's a cold ad. And what people think is, like, oh, I'm going to start paying for the ads and I'm going to start building my lead pipeline. But then you realize it doesn't really work like that because people mostly buy through referral. Even in B2B, you actually, generally people are going to go, they're going to read reviews, they're going to do research. They, they have quite a, a convoluted journey. And I don't think looking at cold paid ads versus SEO is necessarily the right perspective as much as thinking about how they both interplay into the overall orchestration of your customer's journey. Because if you think about a typical B2B SaaS journey, maybe I see an ad and I have a problem and I go to Google and I research it and I go to Captera and I read reviews and then I look up two or three competitors in that competitor set and then I'll download two or three white papers. And then two weeks later, someone else in my business will send me a, an ebook or white paper on the topic. And then you start seeing it's actually very complex and convoluted. And in that regard, you don't want to just look at like the two channels in silo and say, I should put my budget there or put my budget there. Really, your challenge is you need to be top of mind as frequently as possible on as many channels as possible for your prospect type. And all of those channels are part of the orchestration holistically to create that dominance. And if you get that dominance, you're gonna get a disproportionate share of voice 
and therefore a disproportionate share of market. And those are the levers that you have to pull. Now, now, so if we just go back, okay, so you need to do both. When do you start? You need to start as soon as possible, but there's all these caveats. Is there relevant search volume? Is it a high intent category? If the answers are no, there's not enough search volume, you shouldn't be investing a lot in Tessio. It doesn't matter when you do it. And also if um, there is search volume, but your proposition doesn't really meet that need and it's a long, painful educational journey, that isn't necessarily the right channel. I think the key is really, and I'll give you like a more tangible tip here, you can use paid search to validate if SEO is the right channel because effectively it's the same search volume. So you set up your paid search campaign, you set up your landing pages, you get those conversions and you can beat the pipeline, then start investing in SEO. So rather than think about where that fills into your timeline relative to paid ads, which is a, is a problematic way to think about it, just validate it by doing a paid ads campaign and then double down and invest in SEO and see if that works. I think we got our first gem. So Omer, this is, this is for you. When you were editing this, yes. Yes. Make an audiogram of the last 60 seconds, please. Yeah, I was thinking, yes, I was thinking that's going to that's gonna go right into the post. No, I think that's a great thing because the time, you know, everyone knows it's important. And, and everything you mentioned about uh, evaluating the current traffic levels of SEO, I think it's also short-sighted because let's say you're in an up-and-coming industry and right now there isn't that much, let's say thousands per month. And... Uh, in three, five years, it could be 100x that. Is, is it worth it to, to invest today to become you know, maybe the first, the market leader of this thing or to wait until it's big enough that there's already a lot of competitors? Yeah, we've seen this. We've seen one of the businesses I worked in, we ended up spending close to 30 million on marketing a year. And the search volume for the brand out eclipsed the non-brand search term, which was huge. And the reason was the amount of money spent on advertising elevated the brand beyond the generic term for that search term. So imagine if someone's looking for mortgages, for instance, imagine how much volume there is for people looking for a mortgage and this brand out eclipsed the total search volume for this generic term, which everyone knows exists because they become front of mind and they become the synonym for that category. Now, effectively, when you're becoming a market leader, that's exactly like if I, and it's really simple to do this as an exercise. If I said to you, shoes, which is the first brand that comes to mind. If I said to you razor blades, what is the first brand that comes to mind? And if I said to you, I don't know, holiday rentals, home or holiday rentals, who is the first brand come? And all three of us are going to say the same three brands for each other. How is, how is that possible? How is it possible to ask a generic question? And we all have the same brands that pop to mind it's because they're the category leaders. So we all revert to them as a category leader. And this is the same thought for any business who's contending. How do you become a category leader? And that's not just about conversion of existing traffic. It's about becoming a cultural stamp. It's about becoming part of the, the narrative in day-to-day -day language, just like they did with goat milk. The goat milk advert, they shifted the conversation about dairy because the advert was so powerful. And I think this is where marketing is really this hybrid of data and creativity. And if you can do both really well, and you have the meaningful amount of budget because we're at the end of the day, marketing needs fuel, it needs money to be able to create category leaders. And I think that's probably where the biggest point of contention is or what people like talking about the least is like how do you have impact when your competitor has 10x the marketing budget and the reality is it's really hard to do it's not to say that you can't be the up-and-coming ninja but like it's really rare it's like really hard to compete with like yeah how are you going to compete with it's like with a startup that's paying engineers compared to what google is paying their engineers if engineers at google are getting paid one and a half two million dollars a year and your engineer is getting paid 100k 
what are you going to do? Work your engineer 24 seven till they burn out in three months to try and compete? Like you can't, they have five or 10 X the amount of engineers working in the same company. I think a lot of it is you got to be realistic. So you got to carve out a, a meaningful enough niche and you got to be, it's good to be ambitious, but you also got to be realistic. And I've seen a lot of businesses try and like overemphasize creativity over, over reality. I think like, you know, they took the creativity and data part and they went, oh, we're super creative. We're going to have big impact. I think you got to be realistic with what you can do within your competitive set. Interesting. So I just want to take us uh, to a little tiny detour before, and I see that we are like, we still have some time for some questions, but uh, not that many. So don't want to miss this. Probably many people listening to this are thinking, well, I'm going to build this app. I'm going to build that SaaS, whatever. People that are just two and a half founders closet with they have their let's say like uh you know their their thousand dollars a month ish budget for for campaigning for marketing they have maybe their mvp would you have i know it's very broad what i just described so maybe if you want to just take it to just thinking about consumer or SaaS is pretty big but if you have different answers that's okay but what would you tell those people in terms of how to think like even what to read and how to think about what to do with that budget yeah people are going to hate my answer just ignore marketing and build the best freaking amazing product and um, it's like what i thought this guy's a marketing guy and i say this because we've burned i don't know if tens of millions but definitely millions on broadcasting and trying to sell something before it was the right, before it was mature enough. It just didn't, and they didn't go deep enough into solving the right problem for the right people. And they were so eager to raise the A round and the B round and the C round to get the valuation and to get all the people hired in. And, but the foundations were really shaky and they just didn't really solve the right problem. And when you, when people solve the right problem, it just like skyrockets, you just see it. It just like happens. And every month, every pound you put into marketing, you get five X. And you're like, how come the 5X is happening? Because that core problem you solved, you just really hit it. Just the first example that comes to mind just right now, maybe because I was just using it, was, you know, Loom just had this skyrocket success. And really, most of, a lot of that growth is like, you go and product hunt. People had a real problem. They just had the real need to record stuff on their computer from Chrome in a really simple, easy way. Such a simple problem. I mean, you had so many freaking recording software before Loom came about. But it just skyrocketed because it, it just solved the problem better and more elegantly than they, they, they get cracked simplicity for their, their target audience. And it just saw massive growth as a result. And I think with early stage SaaS businesses, they're so busy and eager to scale by spending marketing budget that for four out of five cases from what I've seen, it's not the right approach. They're really good to get the case studies, get those advocates in. Now, as they start doing that, get the case studies, and now start syndicating really high quality in-depth content and start have a funnel, which is like an events funnel with like webinars and events and educational content, and then broadcast and use your advocates to really amplify that. I think one of the best examples of that nowadays in B2B SaaS is probably Gong. So Gong, they do a fantastic job with like their, their using and leveraging their existing data to produce incredible insight. And then they use social to amplify that through really engaging content. And it's very digestible, very accessible. 
and you know they're obviously very proactive and have a great sales team and a fantastic marketing team. So I mean, so I'm, I'm oversimplifying the complexity of what they've built and the success that they're having, but the principles are still there. So I went from strategic, broad, conceptual, all the way to a, a practical mini strategy there, just broadly speaking. Once again, it's like going to a doctor and saying, I have a heart disease, give me a prescription, but like not being clear on what the disease is and asking me to give her a general prescription. I don't recommend you just start taking my thing and applying it. You've got to get personalized custom advice for anyone who's listening. Don't just take what I'm saying and do it because it's not necessarily right for you. Yes, absolutely. It's just, I think it's just fascinating to see even, even with quote, like air quotes, the marketing guy, see that like, all good questions with, with great answers eventually somehow lead to, you know, finding product market fit as fast as you can. And don't just skip that part. That's basically the, the first part of what you said is don't skip the part where you validate that whatever you build is useful for someone that is not you or your mother. And then maybe, yeah, use, I think you were, like touching on like user generated content or, and, or actually like the content that is coming from the product itself, like a product led marketing. So really interesting. Tomei, I'm going to have to let you ask the last question because uh, I know you have many. So before we wrap up, maybe I know it's going to be hard, but maybe just pick one. We'll take it from there. What do you think about audio channels for a startup as a as a channel I should, I should have seen this one coming i should i should have guessed this was gonna so so tomorrow tomorrow is ceo of audio uh, and, i didn't uh, say live i didn't say live audio but i gave him a broad spectrum okay okay <laughs> <laughs> got it i think all like audio channel be it like podcasting or radio or the Twitter audio thing that's, you know, current, or the clubhouse, et cetera, for me is all very top of the funnel. And it's part of the holistic view of tofu, mofu, bofu, top of the funnel, middle of the funnel, bottom of the funnel. There's a very simplified view of the customer journey, but it helps marketers very easily understand how to map channels, how to map content, how to map software and, and, and kind of orchestrate the journey because the journey is very complex. So you have to simplify it. So I don't see audio as a, any as a, I don't no channel is a silver bullet because there is no such thing like which sport is the best sport to get me healthy the sport that you enjoy the most like the sport that you're the best at this is running that much better than boxing in a way actually I think that's probably not the best analogy because with boxing you probably lose brain cells with running you're less likely to lose so it's maybe not the best analogy there but so you could say okay running is healthier but when it comes to marketing channels I don't know what the boxing equivalent is um but yeah, essentially, I don't think, I think audio is obviously still has a lot of potential in the way it's being formatted and the different channels that are coming about. But fundamentally, audio as a channel and radio has been around for a very long time. And all of these are variations of this core that's always been there. And all those principles are still applicable. And even now you're listening to a podcast and it has an advert in it. Just like when you were listening to radio in your car 15 years, 20 years ago. So it's like, how is that really that different? Just, I guess it's more accessible or you can rewind it or it's not really on, it's not live. It's, but even now these audio snippets, you listen to them and they disappear. That's fundamentally radio. So I don't think a lot of the innovation in the marketing channels is particularly 
I think it's format unique and I think there is opportunity there, like TikTok and short videos. That's interesting, new format that didn't really exist before. But fundamentally, it all comes down to like fantastic content for your audience that adds value to them. And if you do that consistently, you'll grow reputation. But if you just view top of the funnel without thinking about conversion or call to actions or taking them on an orchestrated journey, you probably won't see growth. That was a very long answer to a short question, sorry. I've seen worse. Okay. <laughs> Not bad at all. I think it was great. I don't know if, Tomer, if you're thinking through the lengths of all of this used to be radio, I think it's quite interesting. There's a lot for us to, to cover that we didn't touch on. Maybe specifically in product marketing and, and what PMMs do with creating the right assets and, and so many things. But I think we're going to have to leave all of that to our next meeting, if that, if that sounds good. So got to wrap up. But thanks, uh, Ton, for your time, also preparing for this. And then I think we just... We just started seeing the upper part of the iceberg. There's so much still below the water that we're just going to figure out later on. Thank you very much, gentlemen.